Good morning. It's good to be here. It is good to gather in God's house to worship Him to, and to be with His people. Just a few announcements as we begin. Um, we are having our picnic next Sunday at 4 o'clock at the home of Doug and Margie Crone. Their address is on the bulletin board out there, so um, please uh, get that. And uh, um, they do live down in Greenville, so plan on that, and we're looking forward to that. It's going to be a fun time. Um, Lunch Bunch will meet this week. Uh, it's at the Calico Kitchen in Union. If you want to meet here in Carpool, meet at 1045 on Tuesday. Um, otherwise, meet at 1130 down at Calico Kitchen. We are having our Bible study Wednesday night. Um, right now we're meeting at 6, and so please um, take advantage of that if, if you are able. And fair parking. Fair is coming up quickly, so the sign-up sheet is out there in the narthex for fair parking, so please take opportunity to sign up for that. And if you have questions about that or not sure what you're signing up for, please talk to myself, one of the deacons, or one of the elders, and we will try to answer your questions as best as possible. Um, are there any, any other announcements? All right. Our call to worship today comes from the book of Psalms, from Psalm 95, the first seven verses that is found there in your bulletin in your order of service. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the King King above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Join me as we pray. Great and beautiful God, you have called us into this place to worship you. Lord, we are in awe that the God whose, uh, whose hands will fit the ocean like a drop of water, who has, the God who has created all things, we are in awe that you have called us here into this place to be in your presence to worship you. And Lord, we are here to worship you in song, in prayer, in hearing your word read and taught and worshiping you by the gifts that we do bring into your storehouse. So please find us to be sheep who love their shepherd and remind us that you are the good shepherd who is here with us always in this place and in our daily lives. And Lord, as the good shepherd taught us to pray, we offer this prayer to you. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. What glorious words that the creator of the universe has called us to be his people, his sheep. So let us sing of that glorious truth. Please take Bible song and turn to number Bible to to number 196, Adoration and Submission. 
What a joy it is to be able to sing of the great shepherd whose sheep we are. So let us stand and sing Bible song 196. Please be seated. We have been called to be sheep in God's pasture. And we oftentimes, the people and sheep of God, are are rebellious sheep. And because we are stiff-necked and proud, we should humbly confess and repent. So join me as we confess together. Father, we gather together with the expectant knowledge that through your Son, You freely pardon all who repent and turn to him. We have sinned against you this week in our thoughts, our words, and our actions. We have not loved you or others as you told us. Grant us the mercy, the forgiveness, 
and the cleansing that Jesus gives to those who confess their sin. On that basis, grant that we may continue to worship you in spirit and in truth, to the glory of your name. Amen. Paul gives us these words of assurance in Galatians 1. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Our scripture reading today comes from later in the book of Galatians. It comes from Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 16. So hear the word of the Lord. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. The grass withers, the flowers fail, but the word of our Lord does stand forever. God calls us to bring our tithes and offerings to him. And he reminds us that if we are generous with him, he will be more than generous with us. And he has been through the work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so as God calls us to give, prayerfully consider how you may give to his work. God of generosity, you have given so much to us, and we are called to worship you by returning to you. So please accept what is given today and use it for your honor and for your glory. 
In Jesus' precious name, amen. Please be seated. It has been the tradition of this church that on the last Sunday of the month that we sing a congregational request for the middle hymn. So you have the three, should have the three books there before you, Bible songs, um, the hymn book, and spiritual life songs. And so, um, how shall we sing? This book, 87. All right, spiritual life, 87. We are marching to Zion. We'll sing first and last.
303, be thou my vision. We'll sing first and last. <laughs> Yeah. 
As God's people, it is good that we know what it is that we believe and that we profess it together as an encouragement to ourselves and as encouragement to others around us. So Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, he suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. All right, just a couple of updates as we go to the Lord in prayer. Uh, please be praying for Jeff Marquette. He is a cousin of uh, Bob Carter. He was recently diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. Please be praying for him. Larry Mustaine as well. It's another cousin of Bob's. is um, in the hospital with congestive heart failure. Friends of the Currys, Edgar and Suzanne, they have uh, various health issues, uh, difficulties, struggles that they're going through right now, so please be in prayer for them. Uh, for Jonathan's sister, Deanne, um, keep her, lift her up in your prayers. Uh, we do celebrate with uh, uh, Cooper as he graduated uh, yesterday, so we celebrate with him. Um, we also celebrate with Shelby. She had some tests and they all came back good, so... We praise God for that. Continue to pray for Kermit as he begins his radiation this week and um, be in prayer for that situation. 
Anything else? Any other prayer requests? Uh, this morning, <clears throat> the devil pulled out his bag of tricks and did everything he could to keep me from getting okay. here. But God prevailed. Good. Okay. We praise God. I would God. like to say that last week, maybe the week before, I had some super spirits praying for me. I want to let them know that some things have really turned around. There have been some really big steps in Don's situation, I think, and things are good. Good. So, I mean, just, you know, still not there yet, but things are good. Good. Great. Any other requests or updates? All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Lord, our Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. As long as we have breath, your people will lift our praises to you. You are not a king or a prince like earthly kings because they die. You are forever sovereign over all creation. You existed in infinite past and you will exist into the infinite future. You are eternal in your being and in all your attributes. You're infinite in love, in justice, in power, in mercy, and in sovereignty. In your infinite power, you are the help of those who put their trust in you rather than in earthly princes. You are the hope of those who seek you with all their heart, with all their mind, with all their soul, and with all their strength. You made heaven and earth and all that exists in the cosmos, and you were in the process of redeeming that cosmos and reconciling all things to yourself. You are the God who executes justice for those who are oppressed and provide food for the hungry. You are the God who has set prisoners free. You have opened the eyes of the blind and you lift up those who are pressed down by the cares and weight of this world. We are born imprisoned by our sin and our sinful choices. We are born unable to please you because our hearts are tuned to our own glory and our own will rather than yours. We cannot help but rebel against you because our hearts are dead in our trespasses and in our sins. But you have provided the key to opening the prisons we find ourselves in and restoring us to the freedom of pursuing your glory and your will. You open our eyes so that we can see the goodness of your will rather than the cesspool of our own. You help us to see that holiness according to your law is far, far preferable to the supposed life we think we live pursuing our own wants and our own desires. And by freeing us from the prison and opening our eyes, you make us righteous. We have a righteousness that is alien to us because it is the righteousness of Jesus. It is the righteousness that we could never earn for ourselves, but a righteousness that is a gift of your loving grace. Help us to know and realize the greatness of that love. Help us to live in the joy of, the, of, that, of that righteousness that you have given. Help us to be thankful for the riches of grace that are ours through the life, death, resurrection, and intercession of Jesus of Nazareth his perfect life, his undeserved death, his God-empowered defeat of death and his current work on your behalf and our behalf in your presence are our only hope before you. Help us to love and appreciate the glory of salvation and strive to live out that salvation for you and for our neighbor. Thank you for the blessings that you give. 
Forgive us for taking these blessings for granted. We live in a part of creation that is steeped in your beauty. You paint it with the bluest of blues and the greenest of greens. You scatter blossoms and blooms in this gorgeous valley. Our valley teems with life. And we are grateful for where we live and the glory that we see in it. And yet we are also reminded of sin and brokenness as we look around us. Five years ago this week, we, we suffered the devastation of floods as rain fell and water flew through the valleys and the streams, causing devastation like we had not seen in years. We see animals hit and dying on the side of the road. We, we struggle with diagnoses and illness that cause suffering and sometimes confuse the medical professionals. Help us to see your beauty in our world and long for the restored and reconciled beauty that you have promised. But as we, continue, as we consider the struggles of illness and suffering and trials in this life, we thank you that you meet us with your grace, with your healing, with your good news. We thank you that Shelby had a good report from her doctors. We thank you that Brian is doing well. We thank you for victories in spiritual warfare where the spirit where the where the enemy tries to keep us from the fellowship of believers and yet you give us victory over those areas so that we might gather and worship with you <clears throat> we lift up to you those who suffer and those who struggle we pray for Jeff Marquette and Larry Mustaine for Edgar and Suzanne for Deanne for Kermit continued prayers for Brian we lift them up to you and ask for continued healing, continued mercy, continued strength in their life. We know that you are glorified in them as you meet them with healing or strength or comfort. Strengthen their families as well as they care for them and lift them up. And Lord, we do bring our spiritual warfare before you today as well. Each of us struggle with temptation each of us struggle with the attacks of the enemy that may not be temptation, but may be things that the enemy brings into our lives to keep us from worship, that keep us from loving you as we should. And so we ask that you would give us the power of the spirit to to say no to the temptations, to to muscle through in your power, the spiritual obstacles that are placed before us. Remind us that it is not against flesh and blood that we fight, but it is against principalities and powers of the air and strengthen us to move forward. Remove the grip of your enemy, of our enemy from the communities around us as we celebrate sin in these communities. Help us to be witnesses for you in the midst of the darkness of this world. Send your spirit in a mighty way upon this church and upon this community. Help us to see once again how to live according to your goodness and your grace. Show the world around us that rejection of your law, rejection of your salvation only leads to destruction. And remind us, your people, that we carry the good news of the gospel that Jesus came not to judge the world, but so that some might be saved. And so, Lord, remind us that a judgment awaits and remind us that there is a means that we can offer to others whereby that judgment may pass over them because it fell on the cross.
Remind us that we are in a spiritual battle and remind us that you have won through that cross and that we need not fear man. O sovereign God, we praise you for we know that you will reign forever. Just as you have ruled in time past, just as you rule now, you will rule as generation follows generation and you will reign into time unending. Help us to see the glory of your infinite, sovereign, and unchanging rule and to praise you and to pursue you as our King, as our Sovereign. It is in the gracious name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that we are able to pray and that we do pray. Amen. Please take up your Bibles now and turn with me to the book of Proverbs. We are in Proverbs chapter 24, uh, 24 through 34 is a is a section of the book of Proverbs unto itself. That is the further sayings of the wise in 2216. We began sayings of the wise that Solomon had compiled. And this is another collection of sayings of the wise that Solomon has compiled as well that we find here in these verses, verses 23 through 34 of Proverbs 24. And so take up your Bibles and follow along as I read. These also are sayings of the wise. To show partiality in judging is not good. Whoever says to the guilty, you are innocent. People will curse him and nations denounce him. But it will go well with those who convict the guilty and and rich blessing will come upon them. An honest answer is like a kiss on the lips. Finish your outdoor work and get your fields ready. After that, build your house. Do not testify against your neighbor without cause or use your lips to deceive. Do not say, I'll do to him as he has done to me. I will pay that man back for what he did. I went past the field of the sluggard, past the vineyard of the man who lacks judgment. Thorns had come up everywhere. The ground was covered with weeds and the stone wall was in ruins. I applied my heart to what I observed and I learned a lesson from what I saw. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a bandit and scarcity like an armed man. Let us pray. Our God and Father, you have revealed yourself and your will to us in your word. As we consider these words today that Solomon compiled, we do ask that you open our eyes. Help us to see your glory. Help us to see where we fall short of that glory. Help us to see where our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ made it possible for us to pursue that glory, made us righteous so that we might pursue you. And Lord, open our ears. Help us to hear the glorious news that you have given to us, the glorious grace that you provide. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You need to get your priorities in order. Now, maybe you've heard that statement from a parent or a grandparent is, who was disappointed in maybe how your life was turning out or choices that you made. Maybe you heard it from a boss who had hoped that you would be a better employee. But whatever the situation, whether it was meant as a gentle encouragement or an exasperated plea for us to straighten up and fly right, we have all heard and needed to apply the saying, you need to get your priorities in order. And that is what Solomon brings to Rehoboam today. 
He says, you need to get your priorities in order. And he gives Rehoboam two things that he should prioritize in his rule and in his reign. First, get your priorities in order. Verse 27 just sounds really foreign to us uh, in a 21st century context. Finish your outdoor work and get your fields ready. After that, build your house. We typically think of we buy a piece of property, we're going to set up on it, and we need to get the house set up before we do anything outside. I mean, where are you going to live if you don't have a house? Well, in the context that Solomon was writing in to Rehoboam and to other people within the context of the ancient Near East, many of them were nomadic herders of animals, sheep or goats, sheep or goats, no S on the end of sheep, if it's plural. They were nomadic, which means they lived in tents most of the time. Now, these aren't the Coleman tents that we think of today with that thin fabric that you're worried about. If you leave it out in the sun too long, it's just going to disintegrate in an hour or two. These were tents made of either animal hide or thick canvas. Think of the military tents of the early 20th century. Some people even use tents like that now for hunting camps where they'll set them up and you can actually put a stove inside of it. You can heat it. You can uh, roll up the sides so that you can cool it in the summertime. It was a safe place to be away from the elements. It was a safe place to live. And the instruction here is that if you are a nomad and you have lived life on the road for years and you now have an opportunity to settle on a piece of property, there are things that you need to do first before you begin to build the house. You need to make sure that you have a food supply. You didn't have a Kroger or an IGA to drive to to get your groceries. So you needed to get your fields in order, get your crops planted. You didn't have water that ran from a water supply most of the time that you could count on. So you had to dig your well, get your cistern ready so that you would have a sure and steady supply of water. In other words, if you had an opportunity to settle down on a piece of land, you needed to get your priorities in order. Rehoboam after he takes over the throne from Solomon, is going to have goals and projects that he has in mind. And Solomon is warning him here. He says, you need to get some priorities in order, some foundations laid before you pursue these projects. And he's going to give him two priorities that he as the kings should pursue. Now, in a sense... All of the wisdom that Solomon has called Rehoboam to in the book of Proverbs that we've looked at so far and that we will continue to look at are priorities that that Rehoboam needs to follow. But as I said, he mentions two here, and they are two priorities that Solomon has focused on multiple times throughout our study in the book of Proverbs. Now, why do you think Solomon keeps kind of coming back around to these same issues over and over again? Actually, many of the wisdom issues that we have looked at and that we will continue to look at, we already have looked at. Why do you think Solomon continues to circle around to the same thing over and over and over again? Is he just unimaginative? No. We repeat things oftentimes because they're important. He's coming around to these two priorities, and I promise you we'll get to those priorities. I'll I'll reveal to you what they are here in a few moments. 
But he keeps coming around to these two priorities because they are important. Just like Solomon repeats the concept that the fear of the Lord is the foundation or the beginning of wisdom. The next level of building in this house, this building metaphor needs to be certain things. And they're important. And so Solomon continuously reminds Rehoboam of them. The other reason he reminds Rehoboam of them is because we have a tendency to forget the most important things. Think about it this way. If you're establishing something new and you want it to be shaped by a certain doctrine or a certain foundation or a certain document, you are going to do absolutely everything you can at the beginning of the process of building it to make that statement, that doctrine, part of the DNA of whatever it is that you're building. What is it founded on? Well, then you get your project up and going. All the pieces are working together like well-oiled machines. You have done a great job of laying the foundation. And you can just kick back and coast at this point, right? Wrong. Because when we just kick back and coast and, and rely upon the fact that we have built this project, this endeavor on a certain foundation, If we stop working on those foundational principles, they go away. We forget them. And Solomon keeps bringing this up over and over, these things up over and over again to Rehoboam as a reminder that as he's learning from Solomon or or after Solomon's gone and he has the, the, the written wisdom that Solomon has compiled for him, He can go, oh, yeah, that must have been important because dad just said it over and over and over again. I really need to work on that. And so Solomon calls Rehoboam to get these two priorities straight because just above the foundation of the fear of the Lord, these things are important. And they're important to Rehoboam or should be because they're important to God as well. And the first thing, the first priority that that Solomon points out to Rehoboam is the idea of justice. And we have a whole lot of different ideas about what justice means in our society. But justice in the Old Testament, the word for justice is related to the word for righteousness. It's related to the law. And it's related to the application of the law equitably, for the lack of a better word, across all strata of society. The temptation for Rehoboam is the king who is also the executive branch, the legislative branch, and the judicial branch of the government was all wrapped up in one person in Rehoboam under the, under the umbrella of the law and seeking to honor and to fear God. Rehoboam made the law, he enforced the law, and he judged those who broke the law. And the temptation for him is to sway the law based upon in this particular circumstance that's that's highlighted throughout the book of Proverbs, based oftentimes on economic resources. He's going to be tempted to sway the law in the favor of the rich because, well, they can give him gifts. They can pay him a little bribe under the table. You know, know, if if you'll judge this particular case in my favor, well, you know, I'll write an extra big uh, tithe check next month. 
He may also be tempted to to sway the law toward the poor because they may give him the the gratitude and the honor and the worship, dare I say, that they may not have the financial resources, but they can go around and say, you know, Rehoboam is a pretty good guy. This is what he did for me. He's going to be tempted in one way or another to sway the law from one direction to another to, as the text says, declare the guilty innocent. And unspokenly says, declare the innocent to be guilty. But God is impartial when it comes to the law. God, when we stand before God to have his justice applied to us, he's not going to care how rich we were, how poor we were. He's not going to care what our ethnicity was. He's going to say, this is my righteous standard. Did you live up to it? And because he is going to work in that way, he calls the kings and the presidents and the governors and the law enforcement officers that he raises up. He calls them to say, this is the law. You broke it. This is the penalty. We will apply it that way. We struggle with that in our culture. We have a we have an overweighted sense of love and forgiveness in some directions. In other directions, we have an overweighted sense of justice and punishment. We don't oftentimes, many times we do, but oftentimes we struggle in our culture with the equitable application of the law to all parties. And God says that justice is important. His justice is important. The other way that we can be unjust is in how we use the legal system. And he touches on this. In verses 28 and 29, do not testify against your neighbor without cause or use your lips to deceive. Do not say I'll do to him as he has done to me. I'll pay that man back for what he did. When I was involved with Little League down in Ronsevert on the board down there, we made a decision about coaches one year. And a man did not like the decision that he made, that we made regarding coaches and managers of the team. What was that man's response? I'm going to sue Ike. Now, he didn't. Thanks be to God. But that's an option in our society today. You know, you can sue anybody for anything in our world. It may be kicked out as a frivolous lawsuit, but it's going to take the person who is being sued. It's going to take them time. It's going to take them monetary resources. It's going to take standing in front of a judge with a lawyer on your side For the judge to go, you know what, this is frivolous, I'm kicking it out. But we can use the law, the civil law in our culture, as a means of revenge. Solomon says, don't use the law that way. That's not what it's meant for. Don't bring frivolous lawsuits against others. Don't think I'm going to get revenge against my neighbor for this slight to my personality, to my reputation by trumping up charges against him. Now, God takes this pretty seriously because in the book of Deuteronomy, he warns anybody who brings a false charge and finds witnesses who are willing to have the, to corroborate those false charges, the penalty they were seeking against the innocent person now falls upon them. We get off easy in our culture with frivolous lawsuits because you just go home. God takes his justice seriously. And he calls Rehoboam to do that as well. He says, 
apply the law without partiality and make sure nobody is abusing the legal system as a means of revenge against others. So the first priority that he calls Rehoboam to focus on is justice. The second priority that Solomon calls Rehoboam on uh, to focus on is work. In verses 30 through 34, we have the, the picture of the lazy person. So I didn't need to turn the page. It's right there. He says, I went past the field of the sluggard, past the vineyard of the man who lacks judgment. Thorns had come up everywhere. The ground was covered with weeds. The stone wall was in ruins. I applied my heart to what I observed, and I learned a lesson from what I saw. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a bandit, scarcity like an armed man. What do you think about work? We oftentimes falsely think that work is a curse, that work is a product of the fact that sin has come into the world. No, brothers and sisters, we were created to work. It is adversely affected by the fall. It is frustrating. It is difficult that thorns grow up where we wish tomatoes would come. But work is something that we were created to do. It's a means by which God calls each and every one of us to minister in this world, to bring him glory in this world, to, to be part of tending the creation. Even the most mundane, drudging, disgusting job is an opportunity for us to glorify God. And yet many of us in our culture, in our world, think of work as something to, to, to bear up underneath long enough to earn enough money to where I don't have to work anymore. No, retirement just means your work changes. That maybe you aren't working a nine to five job, but you're working in other areas to seek to bring God glory, to bring God honor. And Solomon encourages Rehoboam Make sure that work is a priority for you and for the culture. Even alleviation of poverty in ancient Israel was based upon work. They had emergency resources for emergency situations. But in the book of Deuteronomy, the, the, the Israelites are told when you harvest your field and some of the grain falls on the ground, leave it there. So the poor, so the aliens, so the oppressed can come along and reap for themselves don't go through your vineyard a second time. Leave some of the grapes there so that the poor can come along and reap for themselves. Work is important to God and it's important to the stability of a kingdom. But it's important to our spiritual life as well. Psalm 80, Isaiah 5, both use this imagery of the vineyard. Some of the same words that are used here to talk about the spiritual reality of the nation of Israel. Psalm 80 has this beautiful picture of a vine that's growing up in foreign soil in Egypt. That's attacked, that's oppressed, and God lovingly takes this vine out of the soil of Egypt. He transports it lovingly and caringly across the wilderness and he plants it in the midst of a vineyard that is verdant, that is full of life and water and everything a vine needs. And, and God clears the land. He builds a wall around the, the vine and he tends the vine so that it grows up to be 
a place of shade, a place of food, a place of goodness. But the vine has a problem, we learn in Isaiah 5. The vine doesn't like the gardener. The vine thinks there's better gardeners on the outside of the wall. And the vine says to the gardener, I'm, I'm going to check on these gardeners out here and see if they can do a better job than you. And God says, fine. And later on, what happens, we see in Psalm 80 and in Isaiah 5. In Psalm 80, it's described as happening. In Isaiah 5, it's described as God's judgment. The wall is knocked down. The thorns have grown up and the vine is withering. Brothers and sisters, God has worked on the soil of our hearts, that rocky, hard soil, and he has removed it and he has replaced it with living, verdant, fertile soil. And yet we are called to work it, to tend it, to garden it, to make sure that that soil, that it, through the power of the Spirit, that, that we are soil that produces fruit and doesn't just get overgrown with weeds and with thorns. We are called to tend the soil of our heart so that the fruit of the Spirit will grow rather than the fruit of iniquity, which we tend toward. One of the ways we do this, we talked to the, to the graduates yesterday as we gathered here in this place. One of the ways that we do this is to make sure that we are attending to the means of grace. What that means is you're showing up to church on Sunday. The means of grace are the preaching and the teaching of the word. The reading, the preaching, and the teaching of the word. Why, why do I design the worship service to be so spirit-soaked? Because that's the way God grows us. That's the way God tends the soil of our heart is through the scripture. We read the scripture, we sing the scripture, we pray the scripture, and we see the scripture in the sacraments. That is how God begins and does most of the work of the process of, of helping us tend to the soils of our hearts to make sure that our vineyard grows well and does not get overgrown with weeds and thorns. The means of grace remind us that the gardener is the only gardener and the only good gardener. There are no other gardeners out there that want for us what he wants for us, which is our which is our thriving, which is our flourishing, which is our holiness. All the other gardeners want to destroy us or at least help us destroy ourselves. We must tend to the soil of our hearts and not be lazy about it. Yes, we want to be at the lake. Yes, we want to be at the sports field. Yes, we're tired and don't want to get out of bed on Sunday morning. Yes, the enemy wants us to grasp all of those things rather than being in the house of God so that we may be encouraged and be an encouragement to others. And I realize I am preaching to the choir right now because you're here. You have fought the battle. You have fought the fight and you are here. And I commend you for that because you are working on doing the work of tending your soils. But the temptations will come. Even for those of us who are, are here every Sunday, the temptation is there to just, you know, I don't feel like it today. I get that. I truly do. But this is where we are fed this is where our gardens are tended. This is where our children are drawn to faith. 
This is where we get strengthened to go out and in the power of the Spirit to continue to work privately and in our families. We live and act as though our vineyards will take care of themselves. But God calls us to diligently take care of our vineyards so that they will produce life-giving grapes rather than the spiritual destitution of laziness. So Solomon prioritizes justice and work. And if you notice, he puts his call to priority right in the middle of the two, and it actually kind of touches on both of them. Finish your outdoor work, get your fields ready, and after that, build your house, build your tribe, build your nation. It's because I believe justice works. And I don't mean justice works in the way that, you know, it's just a really good thing to have within a culture. I mean that a just culture is a working culture. The two go hand in hand. We are called to get our priorities straight. Do we cry out against injustice in our society, true injustice within our society? And do we call out for just fixing of the injustices of our society? Our society right now is very tempted to say, Group A oppressed Group B for so long. So Group B is now justified in oppressing Group A just the way they were. That's not equitable application of the law. We should pursue right and good and godly justice in our culture. We should call, right, bug, pester our elected officials to make sure that they are pursuing righteousness and justice within our society. We need to make sure that we're not falling into the trap of using the court system to get revenge on those who have hurt us in the past. We talked about in Sunday school today that that our world is full of injustice. Not as full, I think, as the news would have us believe, but it's still there. How did God answer injustice? Miroslav Volf, you've heard me talk about him before. He he grew up in that Serbia-Croatian crisis back in the 70s and 80s. And he was part, his family was part of the half of that society that the other half was trying to destroy. And he says, were there differences between us? Absolutely. And we need to understand and realize those differences and maybe sometimes celebrate those differences because different cultures do have different things that need to be celebrated. But they shouldn't drive a wedge between us. And he says, somebody asked me one time, he says, how do you respond to the fact that this entire people group, half of your country who looked like you, talked like you, walked like you, tried to destroy you? He says, I look to the cross where the greatest of injustices poured out upon the Son of God. And yet he opened his arms in the midst of exclusion to embrace a world that hated him. That's what we're called to bring to an unjust world is the justice of the cross. 
Yes, we pursue the right application of law. Yes, we pursue the right punishment of criminals in our society. But we do so with the idea of grace. We do so with the idea of forgiveness. The idea that their penalty can be paid by the Savior. And as we pursue justice, do we work to God's glory and God's honor? Most of us in this room work or have worked for most or all of your lives. Why do you work? Why did you work? Did you work just to get your nest egg so you could stop working? Or did you work in order to bring honor and glory to God? And finally, and I truly mean finally, are we doing the work of cultivating the vineyards of our own heart as we seek to live according to God's glory and God's honor? Let us pray. God, you are great and worthy of praise. We confess that oftentimes we ignore injustice. We confess that oftentimes we are lazy rather than diligent at our work. And we rest in the fact that you forgive us and that you are truly cultivating within us a vineyard that produces God-glorifying fruit. Help us to walk in your way. Help us to seek justice, to bring grace to a society that is misapplying justice in many ways. And help us to remember the honor and glory that comes to you through a job well done, through work well pursued. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please take your hymn book and turn with me to hymn number 433. Paul talks about Jesus as the foundation, the cornerstone, the, the, the foundation that we need to have right in our lives as God seeks to build his kingdom through us and in us. So let us stand and sing of that foundation by singing hymn number 433, Christ has made the sure foundation. Let us stand.
we leave this week, take this blessing from Paul with you. Brothers and sisters, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And as we await the fullness of that grace, as we live in a world that is unjust, we cry out to Jesus. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen. Good morning. It's good to be here. It is good to gather in God's house to worship Him to, and to be with His people. Just a few announcements as we begin. Um, we are having our picnic next Sunday at 4 o'clock at the home of Doug and Margie Crone. Their address is on the bulletin board out there, so um, please uh, get that. And uh, um, they do live down in Greenville, so plan on that, and we're looking forward to that. It's going to be a fun time. Um, Lunch Bunch will meet this week. Uh, it's at the Calico Kitchen in Union. If you want to meet here in Carpool, meet at 1045 on Tuesday. Um, otherwise, meet at 1130 down at Calico Kitchen. We are having our Bible study Wednesday night. Um, right now we're meeting at 6, and so please um, take advantage of that if, if you are able. And fair parking. Fair is coming up quickly, so the sign-up sheet is out there in the narthex for fair parking, so please take opportunity to sign up for that. And if you have questions about that or not sure what you're signing up for, please talk to myself, one of the deacons, or one of the elders, and we will try to answer your questions as best as possible. Um, are there any, any other announcements? All right. Our call to worship today comes from the book of Psalms, from Psalm 95, the first seven verses that is found there in your bulletin in your order of service. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the King, King above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth. 
and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Join me as we pray. Great and beautiful God, you have called us into this place to worship you. Lord, we are in awe that the God whose, uh, whose hands will fit the ocean like a drop of water, who has, the God who has created all things, we are in awe that you have called us here into this place to be in your presence to worship you. And Lord, we are here to worship you in song, in prayer, in hearing your word read and taught and worshiping you by the gifts that we do bring into your storehouse. So please find us to be sheep who love their shepherd and remind us that you are the good shepherd who is here with us always in this place and in our daily lives. And Lord, as the good shepherd taught us to pray, we offer this prayer to you. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. What glorious words that the creator of the universe has called us to be his people, his sheep. So let us sing of that glorious truth. Please take Bible song and turn to number Bible to, to number 196, Adoration and Submission. What a joy it is to be able to sing of the great shepherd whose sheep we are. So let us stand and sing Bible song 196.
Amen. Please be seated. We have been called to be sheep in God's pasture. And we oftentimes, the people and sheep of God, are, are rebellious sheep. And because we are stiff-necked and proud, we should humbly confess and repent. So join me as we confess together. Father, we gather together with the expectant knowledge that through your Son, you freely pardon all who repent and turn to him. We have sinned against you this week in our thoughts, our words, and our actions. We have not loved you or others as you told us. Grant us the mercy, the forgiveness, and the cleansing that Jesus gives to those who confess their sin. On that basis, grant that we may continue to worship you in spirit and in truth, to the glory of your name. Amen. Paul gives us these words of assurance in Galatians 1. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Our scripture reading today comes from later in the book of Galatians. It comes from Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 16. So hear the word of the Lord. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. The grass withers, the flowers fail, but the word of our Lord does stand forever. God calls us to bring our tithes and offerings to him. And he reminds us that if we are generous with him, he will be more than generous with us. And he has been through the work of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And so as God calls us to give, prayerfully consider how you may give to his work.
Great God of generosity, you have given so much to us. And we are called to worship you by returning to you. So please accept what is given today and use it for your honor and for your glory. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Please be seated. It has been the tradition of this church that on the last Sunday of the month that we sing a congregational request for the middle hymn. So you have the three, should have the three books there before you, Bible songs, um, the hymn book, and spiritual life songs. And so, um, how shall we sing? This book, 87. All right, spiritual life, 87. We are marching to Zion. We'll sing first and last.
303, Be Thou My Vision. We'll sing first and last. <laughs>
As God's people, it is good that we know what it is that we believe and that we profess it together as an encouragement to ourselves and as an encouragement to others around us. So Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. All right, just a couple of updates as we go to the Lord in prayer. Uh, please be praying for Jeff Marquette. He is a cousin of uh, Bob Carter. He was recently diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. Please be praying for him. Larry Mustaine as well. It's another cousin of Bob's is um, in the hospital with congestive heart failure. Friends of the Currys, Edgar and Suzanne, they have uh, various health issues, uh, difficulties, struggles that they're going through right now. So please be in prayer for them. Uh, for Jonathan's sister, Deanne, um, keep her, lift her up in your prayers. Uh, we do celebrate with uh, uh, Cooper as he graduated uh, yesterday, so we celebrate with him. Um, we also celebrate with Shelby. She had some tests and they all came back good, so we praise God for that. Continue to pray for Kermit as he begins his radiation this week and um, be in prayer for that situation. Anything else? Any other prayer requests? Uh, this morning, <clears throat> the devil pulled out his bag of tricks and did everything he could to keep me from getting okay. here. But God prevailed. Good. Okay. Praise I God. I would like to say that last week, or maybe the week before, I think it was last week, I had some super spirits praying for me. I want to let them know that some things have really turned around. There have been some really big steps and Don's situation, I think, and things are good. Good. So, I mean, you know, it's still not there yet, but things are good. Good. Great. Any other requests or updates? All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Lord, our Lord, our Lord how majestic is your name in all the earth. As long as we have breath, your people will lift our praises to you. You are not a king or a prince like earthly kings because they die. You are forever sovereign over all creation. You existed in infinite past and you will exist into the infinite future. You are eternal in your being and in all your attributes. You're infinite in love, in justice, in power, in mercy, and in sovereignty. In your infinite power, you are the help of those who put their trust in you rather than in earthly princes. You are the hope of those who seek you with all their heart, with all their mind, with all their soul, and with all their strength. You made heaven and earth and all that exists in the cosmos, and you were in the process of redeeming that cosmos and reconciling all things to yourself. 
You are the God who executes justice for those who are oppressed and provide food for the hungry. You are the God who has set prisoners free. You have opened the eyes of the blind and you lift up those who are pressed down by the cares and weight of this world. We are born imprisoned by our sin and our sinful choices. We are born unable to please you because our hearts are tuned to our own glory and our own will rather than yours. We cannot help but rebel against you because our hearts are dead in our trespasses and in our sins. But you have provided the key to opening the prisons we find ourselves in and restoring us to the freedom of pursuing your glory and your will. You open our eyes so that we can see the goodness of your will rather than the cesspool of our own. You help us to see that holiness according to your law is far, far preferable to the supposed life we think we live pursuing our own wants and our own desires. And by freeing us from the prison and opening our eyes, you make us righteous. We have a righteousness that is alien to us because it is the righteousness of Jesus. It is the righteousness that we could never earn for ourselves, but a righteousness that is a gift of your loving grace. Help us to know and realize the greatness of that love. Help us to live in the joy of, the, of, that, of that righteousness that you have given. Help us to be thankful for the riches of grace that are ours through the life, death, resurrection, and intercession of Jesus of Nazareth. His perfect life, his undeserved death, his God-empowered defeat of death and his current work on your behalf and our behalf in your presence are our only hope before you. Help us to love and appreciate the glory of salvation and strive to live out that salvation for you and for our neighbor. Thank you for the blessings that you give. Forgive us for taking these blessings for granted. We live in a part of creation that is steeped in your beauty. You paint it with the bluest of blues and the greenest of greens. You scatter blossoms and blooms in this gorgeous valley. Our valley teems with life. And we are grateful for where we live and the glory that we see in it. And yet we are also reminded of sin and brokenness as we look around us. Five years ago this week, we, we suffered the devastation of floods as rain fell and water flew through the valleys and the streams, causing devastation like we had not seen in years. We see animals hid and dying on the side of the road. We, we struggle with diagnoses and illness that cause suffering and sometimes confuse the medical professionals. Help us to see your beauty in our world and long for the restored and reconciled beauty that you have promised. But as we, continue, as we consider the struggles of illness and suffering and trials in this life, we thank you that you meet us with your grace, with your healing, with your good news. We thank you that Shelby had a good report from her doctors. We thank you that Brian is doing well. We thank you for victories in spiritual warfare where the, spirit, where the, where the enemy tries to keep us from the fellowship of believers. And yet you give us victory over those areas so that we might gather and worship with you. <clears throat> we lift up to you those who suffer and those who struggle. We pray for Jeff Marquette and Larry Mustaine, for Edgar and Suzanne, for Deanne, for Kermit. Continued prayers for Brian. 
we lift them up to you and ask for continued healing, continued mercy, continued strength in their life. We know that you are glorified in them as you meet them with healing or strength or comfort. Strengthen their families as well as they care for them and lift them up. And Lord, we do bring our spiritual warfare before you today as well. Each of us struggle with temptation. Each of us struggle with the attacks of the enemy that may not be temptation, but maybe things that the enemy brings into our lives to keep us from worship, that keep us from loving you as we should. And so we ask that you would give us the power of the spirit to to say no to the temptations, to to muscle through in your power the spiritual obstacles that are placed before us. Remind us that it is not against flesh and blood that we fight, but it is against principalities and powers of the air and strengthen us to move forward. Remove the grip of your enemy, of our enemy from the communities around us as we celebrate sin in these communities. Help us to be witnesses for you in the midst of the darkness of this world. Send your spirit in a mighty way upon this church and upon this community. Help us to see once again how to live according to your goodness and your grace. Show the world around us that rejection of your law, rejection of your salvation only leads to destruction. And remind us, your people, that we carry the good news of the gospel that Jesus came not to judge the world, but so that some might be saved. And so, Lord, remind us that a judgment awaits and remind us that there is a means that we can offer to others whereby that judgment may pass over them because it fell on the cross. Remind us that we are in a spiritual battle and remind us that you have won through that cross and that we need not fear man. O sovereign God, we praise you for we know that you will reign forever. Just as you have ruled in time past, just as you rule now, you will rule as generation follows generation and you will reign into time unending. Help us to see the glory of your infinite sovereign and unchanging rule and to praise you and to pursue you as our king, as our sovereign. It is in the gracious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that we are able to pray and that we do pray. Amen. Please take up your Bibles now and turn with me to the book of Proverbs. We are in Proverbs chapter 24. Uh, 24 through 34 is a is a section of the book of Proverbs unto itself. That is the further sayings of the wise In 22.16, we began sayings of the wise that Solomon had compiled. And this is another collection of sayings of the wise that Solomon has compiled as well that we find here in these verses, verses 23 through 34 of Proverbs 24. And so take up your Bibles and follow along as I read. These also are sayings of the wise. To show partiality in judging is not good. Whoever says to the guilty, you are innocent, people will curse him and nations denounce him. But it will go well with those who convict the guilty. 
and, and rich blessing will come upon them. An honest answer is like a kiss on the lips. Finish your outdoor work and get your fields ready. After that, build your house. Do not testify against your neighbor without cause or use your lips to deceive. Do not say, I'll do to him as he has done to me. I will pay that man back for what he did. I went past the field of the sluggard, past the vineyard of the man who lacks judgment. Thorns had come up everywhere. The ground was covered with weeds and the stone wall was in ruins. I applied my heart to what I observed and I learned a lesson from what I saw. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest and poverty will come on you like a bandit and scarcity like an armed man. Let us pray. Our God and Father, you have revealed yourself and your will to us in your word. As we consider these words today that Solomon compiled, we do ask that you open our eyes. Help us to see your glory. Help us to see where we fall short of that glory. Help us to see where our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ made it possible for us to pursue that glory. Made us righteous so that we might pursue you. And Lord, open our ears. Help us to hear the glorious news that you have given to us, the glorious grace that you provide. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You need to get your priorities in order. Now, maybe you've heard that statement from a parent or a grandparent who was disappointed in maybe how your life was turning out or choices that you made. Maybe you heard it from a boss who had hoped that you would be a better employee. But whatever the situation, whether it was meant as a gentle encouragement or an exasperated plea for us to straighten up and fly right, we have all heard and needed to apply the saying, you need to get your priorities in order. And that is what Solomon brings to Rehoboam today. He says, you need to get your priorities in order. And he gives Rehoboam two things that he should prioritize in his rule and in his reign. First, get your priorities in order. Verse 27 just sounds really foreign to us uh, in a 21st century context. Finish your outdoor work and get your fields ready. After that, build your house. We typically think of we buy a piece of property, we're going to set up on it, and we need to get the house set up before we do anything outside. I mean, where are you going to live if you don't have a house? Well, in the context that Solomon was writing in to Rehoboam and to other people within the context of the ancient Near East, many of them were nomadic herders of animals, sheep or goats, sheep or goats, no S on the end of sheep, if it's plural. They were nomadic, which means they lived in tents most of the time. Now, these aren't the Coleman tents that we think of today with that thin fabric that you're worried about. If you leave it out in the sun too long, it's just going to disintegrate in an hour or two. These were tents made of either animal hide or thick canvas. Think of the military tents of the early 20th century. Some people even use tents like that now for hunting camps where they'll set them up and you can actually put a stove inside of it. You can heat it. You can uh, roll up the sides so that you can cool it in the summertime. It was a safe place to be away from the elements. It was a safe place to live. And the instruction here is that if you are a nomad and you have lived life on the road for years and you now have an opportunity to settle on a piece of property, there are things that you need to do first 
before you begin to build the house. You need to make sure that you have a food supply. You didn't have a Kroger or an IGA to drive to to get your groceries. So you needed to get your fields in order, get your crops planted. You didn't have water that ran from a water supply most of the time that you could count on. So you had to dig your well, get your cistern ready so that you would have a sure and steady supply of water. In other words, if you had an opportunity to settle down on a piece of land, you needed to get your priorities in order. Rehoboam, after he takes over the throne from Solomon, is going to have goals and projects that he has in mind. And Solomon is warning him here. He says, you need to get some priorities in order, some foundations laid before you pursue these projects. And he's going to give him two priorities that he as the kings should pursue. Now, in a sense, all of the wisdom that Solomon has called Rehoboam too in the book of Proverbs that we've looked at so far and that we will continue to look at are priorities that that's, that Rehoboam needs to follow. But as I said, he mentions two here and they are two priorities that Solomon has focused on multiple times throughout our study in the book of Proverbs. Now, why do you think Solomon keeps kind of coming back around to these same issues over and over again. Actually, many of the wisdom issues that we have looked at and that we will continue to look at, we already have looked at. Why do you think Solomon continues to circle around to the same thing over and over and over again? Is he just unimaginative? No. We repeat things oftentimes because they're important. He's coming around to these two priorities, and I promise you we'll get to those priorities. I'll I'll reveal to you what they are here in a few moments. But he keeps coming around to these two priorities because they are important. Just like Solomon repeats the concept that the fear of the Lord is the foundation or the beginning of wisdom. The next level of building in this house, this building metaphor needs to be certain things. And they're important, and so Solomon continuously reminds Rehoboam of them. The other reason he reminds Rehoboam of them is because we have a tendency to forget the most important things. Think about it this way. If you're establishing something new, and you want it to be shaped by a certain doctrine or a certain foundation or a certain document, you are going to do absolutely everything you can at the beginning of the process of building it to make that statement, that doctrine, part of the DNA of whatever it is that you're building. What is it founded on? Well, then you get your project up and going. All the pieces are working together like well-oiled machines. You have done a great job of laying the foundation. And you can just kick back and coast at this point, right? Wrong. Because when we just kick back and coast and, and rely upon the fact that we have built this project, this endeavor on a certain foundation... If we stop working on those foundational principles, they go away. 
we forget them. And Solomon keeps bringing this up over and over, these things up over and over again to Rehoboam as a reminder that as he's learning from Solomon or, or after Solomon's gone and he has the, the, the written wisdom that Solomon has compiled for him, he can go, oh yeah, that must have been important because dad just said it over and over and over again. I really need to work on that. And so Solomon calls Rehoboam to get these two priorities straight because just above the foundation of the fear of the Lord, these things are important. And they're important to Rehoboam or should be because they're important to God as well. And the first thing, the first priority that that Solomon points out to Rehoboam is the idea of justice. And we have a whole lot of different ideas about what justice means in our society. But justice in the Old Testament, the word for justice is related to the word for righteousness. It's related to the law and it's related to the application of the law equitably, for the lack of a better word, across all strata of society. The temptation for Rehoboam is the king who is also the executive branch, the legislative branch, and the judicial branch of the government was all wrapped up in one person in Rehoboam under the, under the umbrella of the law and seeking to honor and to fear God. Rehoboam made the law, he enforced the law, and he judged those who broke the law. And the temptation for him is to sway the law based upon, in this particular circumstance that's, that's highlighted throughout the book of Proverbs, based oftentimes on economic resources. He's going to be tempted to sway the law in the favor of the rich because, well, they can give him gifts. They can pay him a little bribe under the table. You know, um, you know, if you'll if you'll judge this particular case in my favor, well, you know, I'll write an extra big uh, tithe check next month. He may also be tempted to to sway the law toward the poor because they may give him the 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 gratitude and the honor and the worship, dare I say, that they may not have the financial resources, but they can go around and say, you know, Rehoboam is a pretty good guy. This is what he did for me. He's going to be tempted in one way or another to sway the law from one direction to another to, as the text says, declare the guilty innocent and unspokenly says, declare the innocent to be guilty But God is impartial when it comes to the law. God, when we stand before God to have his justice applied to us, he's not going to care how rich we were, how poor we were. He's not going to care what our ethnicity was. He's going to say, this is my righteous standard. Did you live up to it? And because he is going to work in that way, he calls the kings and the presidents and the governors and the law enforcement officers that he raises up, he calls them to say, this is the law. You broke it. This is the penalty. We will apply it that way. We struggle with that in our culture. We have, a, we have a, an overweighted sense of love and forgiveness in some directions. In other directions, we have an overweighted sense of justice and punishment We don't oftentimes, many times we do, but oftentimes we struggle in our culture with the equitable application of the law to all parties. And God says that justice is important. 
His justice is important. The other way that we can be unjust is in how we use the legal system. And he touches on this in verses 28 and 29. Do not testify against your neighbor without cause or use your lips to deceive. Do not say I'll do to him as he has done to me. I'll pay that man back for what he did. When I was involved with Little League down in Ronsevert on the board down there, we made a decision about coaches one year. And a man did not like the decision that he made, that we made regarding coaches and managers of the team. What was that man's response? I'm going to sue Ike. Now, he didn't. Thanks be to God. But that's an option in our society today. You know, you can sue anybody for anything in our world. It may be kicked out as a frivolous lawsuit. But it's going to take the person who is being sued. It's going to take them time. It's going to take them monetary resources. It's going to take standing in front of a judge with a lawyer on your side for the judge to go, you know what, this is frivolous. I'm kicking it out. But we can use the law, the civil law in our culture as a means of revenge. Solomon says, don't use the law that way. That's not what it's meant for. Don't bring frivolous lawsuits against others. Don't think I'm going to get revenge against my neighbor for this slight to my personality, to my reputation by trumping up charges against him. Now, God takes this pretty seriously because in the book of Deuteronomy, he warns anybody who brings a false charge and finds witnesses who are willing to have the to corroborate those false charges the penalty they were seeking against the innocent person now falls upon them. We get off easy in our culture with frivolous lawsuits because you just go home. God takes his justice seriously. And he calls Rehoboam to do that as well. He says, apply the law without partiality and make sure nobody is abusing the legal system as a means of revenge against others. So the first priority that he calls Rehoboam to focus on is justice. The second priority that Solomon calls Rehoboam on uh, to focus on is work. In verses 30 through 34, we have the, the picture of the lazy person. So I didn't need to turn the page. It's right there. He says, I went past the field of the sluggard, past the vineyard of the man who lacks judgment, Thorns had come up everywhere. The ground was covered with weeds. The stone wall was in ruins. I applied my heart to what I observed and I learned a lesson from what I saw. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest and poverty will come on you like a bandit. Scarcity like an armed man. What do you think about work? We oftentimes falsely think that work is a curse That work is a product of the fact that sin has come into the world. No, brothers and sisters, we were created to work. It is adversely affected by the fall. It is frustrating. It is difficult that thorns grow up where we wish tomatoes would come. But work is something that we were created to do. It's a means by which God calls each and every one of us to minister in this world. To bring him glory in this world, to to be part of tending the creation, even the most mundane, drudging, disgusting job is an opportunity for us to glorify God. 
And yet many of us in our culture, in our world, think of work as something to 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 bear up underneath long enough to earn enough money to where I don't have to work anymore. No, retirement just means your work changes. That maybe you aren't working a nine to five job, but you're working in other areas to seek to bring God glory, to bring God honor. And Solomon encourages Rehoboam, make sure that work is a priority for you and for the culture. Even alleviation of poverty in ancient Israel was based upon work. They had emergency resources for emergency situations. But in the book of Deuteronomy, the, the, the Israelites are told when you harvest your field and some of the grain falls on the ground, leave it there. So the poor, so the aliens, so the oppressed can come along and reap for themselves. Don't go through your vineyard a second time. Leave some of the grapes there so that the poor can come along and reap for themselves. Work is important to God and it's important to the stability of a kingdom. But it's important to our spiritual life as well. Psalm 80, Isaiah 5, both use this imagery of the vineyard. Some of the same words that are used here to talk about the spiritual reality of the nation of Israel. Psalm 80 has this beautiful picture of a vine that's growing up in foreign soil in Egypt that's attacked, that's oppressed, and God lovingly takes this vine out of the soil of Egypt. He transports it lovingly and caringly across the wilderness, and he plants it in the midst of a vineyard that is verdant, that is full of life and water and everything a vine needs. And and God clears the land. He builds a wall around the, the vine, and he tends the vine so that it grows up to be a place of shade, a place of food, a place of goodness. But the vine has a problem, we learn in Isaiah 5. The vine doesn't like the gardener. The vine thinks there's better gardeners on the outside of the wall. And the vine says to the gardener, I'm, I'm going to check on these gardeners out here and see if they can do a better job than you. And God says, fine. And later on, what happens, we see in Psalm 80 and in Isaiah 5. In Psalm 80, it's described as happening. In Isaiah 5, it's described as God's judgment. The wall is knocked down. The thorns have grown up and the vine is withering. Brothers and sisters, God has worked on the soil of our hearts, that rocky, hard soil, and he has removed it and he has replaced it with living, verdant, fertile soil. And yet we are called to work it, to tend it, to garden it, to make sure that that soil, that it, through the power of the Spirit, that, that we are soil that produces fruit and doesn't just get overgrown with weeds and with thorns. We are called to tend the soil of our hearts so that the fruit of the Spirit will grow rather than the fruit of iniquity, which we tend toward. One of the ways we do this, we talked to the, to the graduates yesterday as we gathered here in this place. One of the ways that we do this is to make sure that we are attending to the means of grace. What that means is you're showing up to church on Sunday. The means of grace are the preaching and the teaching of the word. 
the reading, the preaching, and the teaching of the word. Why why do I design the worship service to be so spirit-soaked? Because that's the way God grows us. That's the way God tends the soil of our heart is through the scripture. We read the scripture, we sing the scripture, we pray the scripture, and we see the scripture in the sacraments. That is how God begins and does most of the work of the process of, of helping us tend to the soils of our hearts to make sure that our vineyard grows well and does not get overgrown with weeds and thorns. The means of grace remind us that the gardener is the only gardener and the only good gardener. There are no other gardeners out there that want for us what he wants for us, which is our which is our thriving, which is our flourishing, which is our holiness. All the other gardeners want to destroy us or at least help us destroy ourselves. We must tend to the soil of our hearts and not be lazy about it. Yes, we want to be at the lake. Yes, we want to be at the sports field. Yes, we're tired and don't want to get out of bed on Sunday morning. Yes, the enemy wants us to grasp all of those things rather than being in the house of God so that we may be encouraged and be an encouragement to others. And I realize I am preaching to the choir right now because you're here. You have fought the battle. You have fought the fight and you are here. And I commend you for that because you are working on doing the work of tending your soils. But the temptations will come. Even for those of us who are are here every Sunday, the temptation is there to just, you know, I don't feel like it today. I get that. I truly do. But this is where we are fed. This is where our gardens are tended. This is where our children are drawn to faith. This is where we get strengthened to go out and in the power of the Spirit to continue to work privately and in our families. We live and act as though our vineyards will take care of themselves. But God calls us to diligently take care of our vineyards so that they will produce life-giving grapes rather than the spiritual destitution of laziness. So Solomon prioritizes justice and work. And if you notice, he puts his call to priority right in the middle of the two, and it actually kind of touches on both of them. Finish your outdoor work, get your fields ready, and after that, build your house, build your tribe, build your nation. It's because I believe justice works. And I don't mean justice works in the way that, you know, it's just a really good thing to have within a culture. I mean that a just culture is a working culture. The two go hand in hand. We are called to get our priorities straight. Do we cry out against injustice in our society, true injustice within our society? And do we call out for just fixing of the injustices of our society? Our society right now is very tempted to say group A oppressed group B for so long. So group B is now justified in oppressing group A just the way they were. That's not 
equitable application of the law. We should pursue right and good and godly justice in our culture. We should call, right, bug, pester our elected officials to make sure that they are pursuing righteousness and justice within our society. We need to make sure that we're not falling into the trap of using the court system to get revenge on those who have hurt us in the past. We talked about in Sunday school today that that our world is full of injustice. Not as full, I think, as the news would have us believe, but it's still there. How did God answer injustice? Miroslav Volf, you've heard me talk about him before. He he grew up in that Serbia-Croatian crisis back in the 70s and 80s. And he was part, his family was part of the half of that society that the other half was trying to destroy. And he says, were there differences between us? Absolutely. And we need to understand and realize those differences and maybe sometimes celebrate those differences because different cultures do have different things that need to be celebrated. But they shouldn't drive a wedge between us. And he says, somebody asked me one time, he says, how do you respond to the fact that this entire people group, half of your country who looked like you, talked like you, walked like you, tried to destroy you? He says, I look to the cross where the greatest of injustices poured out upon the Son of God. And yet he opened his arms in the midst of exclusion to embrace a world that hated him. That's what we're called to bring to an unjust world is the justice of the cross. Yes, we pursue the right application of law. Yes, we pursue the right punishment of criminals in our society. But we do so with the idea of grace. We do so with the idea of forgiveness. And the idea that their penalty can be paid by the Savior. And as we pursue justice, do we work to God's glory and God's honor? Most of us in this room work or have worked for most or all of your lives. Why do you work? Why did you work? Did you work just to get your nest egg so you could stop working? Or did you work in order to bring honor and glory to God? And finally, and I truly mean finally, are we doing the work of cultivating the vineyards of our own heart as we seek to live according to God's glory and God's honor? Let us pray. God, you are great and worthy of praise. We confess that oftentimes we ignore injustice. We confess that oftentimes we are lazy rather than diligent at our work. And we rest in the fact that you forgive us and that you are truly cultivating within us a vineyard that produces God-glorifying fruit. Help us to walk in your way. Help us to seek justice, to bring grace to a society that is misapplying justice in many ways. 
And help us to remember the honor and glory that comes to you through a job well done, through work well pursued. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please take your hymn book and turn with me to hymn number 433. Paul talks about Jesus as the foundation, the cornerstone, the, the, the foundation that we need to have right in our lives as God seeks to build his kingdom through us and in us. So let us stand and sing of that foundation by singing hymn number 433, Christ has made the sure foundation. Let us stand. As we leave this week, take this blessing from Paul with you. Brothers and sisters, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And as we await the fullness of that grace, as we live in a world that is unjust, we cry out to Jesus. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen.